Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Long Talk here on New Zealand Sports Radio. And you know what? Uh, they do say, sort of, don't meet your heroes and stuff. Now, perhaps that's stretching a little bit for Jason, but uh, he is a person I've wanted to chat to for a long time because he is a player with, he used to play for my team, Extra Chiefs. Um, and there we go. So um, really, really looking forward to this one. So uh, welcome, Jay- welcome, Jason Schumacher. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Paul. How are you? Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Getting used to life in uh, in in level two um, now. Uh, and as you say, yeah, first day back in the office. Um, the place hasn't been ransacked or anything. Everything's sort of where it used to be. Yes, yeah, still looks like it's in working order. So yeah, no, it's good to be back though. Good to see the the office boys and uh, have a bit of banter again. And your current role, because um, you're down in Hawkes Bay um, as the what is it, the academy player development manager. Um, but you also get involved in some assistant coaching with the uh, with Magpies as well? Yeah, so I look after the Young Academy boys here in Hawke's Bay and um, also help out Oz and Josh Sims with a bit of the Magpie stuff as well, which is a good lead in with my Academy guys. So, yeah, that's me at the moment. But um, obviously you didn't start down there. You started um, up in Northland and another one of the Tanifar boys. Um, but what was your very, what was your very first rugby memory? Ah, uh, just as a four or five year old running around Kensington Park up in Wangarei there, and um, used to play for a club called Convent, which is now turned into Marist up there. And yeah, just running around barefoot in the freezing cold there. And then obviously those days you could jump in and play for another team. I used to hang around Kensington Park probably till about lunchtime from nine o'clock in the morning, just trying to jump in any game that I could. Were you also one of these guys who would play sort of rugby on a Saturday and then a bit of league on Sunday? No, I never really got into the leagues. For me, it was, yeah, rugby on a Saturday and then, yeah, cricket and basketball and that in the summer. And uh, are you another one where whose um, dad used to get you up in the middle of the night with a mug of Milo to watch uh, overseas test matches? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Plenty of times where I remember, yeah, getting up, watching the All Blacks play and, yeah, it was a big part of life back then, that's for sure. So um, we were talking with Rennie Ranger yesterday and 
it seems like for him, he was sort of just playing club footy, never actually, and, and uh, sort of the professional side of it just came as a bit of a surprise at the end. At what kind of stage did you think, actually, you know, I can make some money out of this um, playing rugby? Um, I suppose you always, uh, growing up, obviously, wasn't professional when I was a young guy and then obviously turned professional back in, was it 2006? No, 1996, sorry. And, um, yeah, I suppose I, I made New Zealand 16s. God, I can't even remember now. <laughs> <laughs> 1996, I think it was, 97, and then made New Zealand 19s, sort of 1999, 2000, 2001. So I suppose it was probably around there when I was making those teams that maybe I thought I could uh, kick on and, and make that professional ranks. So did you uh, stick around in Fongaray or did you head down to Auckland for your first 15 and uh, for your high school? No, so I went to a little Catholic school up in Wongaray called Pompalia College and our first 15 rugby was pretty much based on a Wednesday afternoon. We'd go and play some other local high school. So all club rugby up there at the time was, you know, you played for your club. So I played for Marist up there. Um, and then we play the odd school club, uh, odd school game on the on the Wednesday, really. So first fifteen wasn't such a big thing back then for us. So I mean, obviously dealing with the academy guys now. How how do you feel that kind of works? Um, do you think that, that staying in the club all the way through would, would help sort of get that club loyalty and keep people in the game, or do you think actually going away to the high schools where there's more um, resources? And then coming back to the clubs is actually the is actually a better sort of uh, route for them. <laughs> yeah, it's probably uh, a bit of a political question. Um, <laughs> I think there's arguments for both. You know, obviously club rugby, if you can keep them in the in that same club, and then the transfer through the age groups um, has its benefits. But obviously the schools, you know, they they obviously got great competitions at the moment, especially the bigger schools and. And the coaching they get through that is pretty good as well. So, you know, there's arguments for both sides. And, you know, that debate still rages on now whether you should be playing for your school or whether the club rugby guys should hold on to you. So I won't get uh, into that, which is better. You won't get into that one. Okay. I'm a proponent for people staying in their clubs to get that long, so that the the uh, the grassroots sort of keeps, we don't have the same drop-off after school. But there you go. That's, that, that's for the sort of the non-professional pathway. But that, yep. in, in my opinion, but there you go. That's just my opinion. Um, so yeah, so you're playing under 19s. Got your first taste with Northland in um, in '99. Um, as you say, that's yeah, early early days of professionalism. Uh, how does that compare to the setup that that you're providing the players now compared to the setup you had back then? I mean, was <laughs> training? Um, did you have nutritionalists? Uh, people talking about mental mental preparedness and. Uh, your little no. black book with all your notes in? No, not at all. I think um, I think I was part of the first intake of the Northland Academy at the time. And to be honest, I can hardly ever remember turning up to anything. I might have done one or two things, and I can't even really remember what they were about now. Um, and then obviously making the Mighty 10 Cup team back in 99, or MPC back then, you know, we used to train on a Tuesday, Thursday night, just like club rugby, and then play against the Aucklands and the, you know, Otago's and the Waikato's on a Saturday. Uh, and, you know, it's just crazy. So, yeah, I remember going down at o- Okara Park and 
Tuesday night with uh, Donnie Stevenson and Bryce Woodward would be all about fitness, wouldn't be too much ball handling going on. And then Thursday we'd do a little bit of sort of team stuff, no analysis, no anything like that. And then, yeah, into, into playing rugby. And then obviously the academy side of it, you know, these days, like you say, we've got nutritionists, we've got mental skills coaches, look after the boys outside of rugby with uh, uh, develop, professional development officers who look out after their, you know, outside of rugby staff. Obviously, they've got the likes of myself and trainers looking after all that. So, it's, yeah, it's night and day from when I was coming through, that's for sure. So, did, did you were you holding down a job at the same time as playing NPC or were you using that time just to train on your own? No, no. So, I was um, a plumber apprentice back then. So, yeah, I left school uh Form six, which is year twelve now. After that, after that year, and jumped into a plumbing apprenticeship, and yeah, I did that pretty much right through till uh, two thousand and yeah three. I think I was still playing for Northland at the time, so yeah, working right through that. So you broke into that two, into that Blues team in uh, what two thousand two and two thousand three. So you've got a couple of seasons there. Was that was that there? Was, was that were those title winning? Or was that yeah. no, that was after the yeah. Um, obviously, great team. Even the 2002 team was a really good team. I think we got six. And then 2003, we, we won it. Um, and obviously, yeah, great to be part of that team. Some outstanding footballers in that team. Um, you know, Carlos Spencer, Rupini Thalthal, um, you know, Doug Howlett, Joe Rokothoko, you know, it's a, yeah, Lee Stensness, all those guys, you know, obviously stars for me. And then obviously to play with them was pretty unreal. And always in that uh, twelve jersey, or, or were you, you or were you more of an outside back in your earlier days, and then and sort of gravitated inwards? Or no, I've always been sort of twelve, thirteen, and um, you know, obviously they had Sam Tutupo in that two thousand and three team, and I think they were using Rico Gear as well in the midfield, and obviously there's Lee Spencer, so I didn't get a lot of game time back then, and um, I suppose for me it was more of a learning environment and trying to get as much as possible out of those guys so um, I think I played about three or four games but yeah not a lot it was more just um, yeah watching the likes of those guys go really uh, well according to Wikipedia you got six games and one try oh there you go so <laughs> <laughs> um, so was that your first experience of, of, of overseas trips for, for for games or did or had you traveled overseas with the uh, with the age grades yeah, so we went. Well, we went to I think '96. We went to Aussie with the New Zealand 16 side, and that team had Aaron Major, Ricky Flutie. So that was a pretty decent team. I think we lost over there. And then '99, we went to Wales for the Junior World Cup. There was the other 21s. Uh, so that was a yeah, real big experience for myself. Um, again, you know, Richie McCaw, Aaron Major. Um, oh, I can't even remember. Like that it was a pretty stacked team. Um, Jerry Collins, I think, was in it. Um, we went over there, and it was yeah, the Junior World Cup, and we won that. Um, bet Wales in the final, and then um, yeah, and then I think the following year we went over to Australia. So I'd sort of been in that environment, done a little bit of travelling, but obviously yeah, when I went to the Blues in 2002, we went to South Africa and the likes, and yeah, obviously this, this, it's another step up again. Yeah, I've heard a few players. Players to sort of talk about that first trip over to South Africa and go, "Whoa, they're big boys." Um, yeah. <laughs> was that part of your kind of, "Wow, this is going to be physical"? Um, I better, I better, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to hurt after this one. 
Yeah, I, I always remember. Um, I think it was I come on late in the game, and, and it was me and Lee Stenson in the midfield, and I can't remember what move we did, and they gave the ball to me, and I hit it up, and I must have done all right because I come back into the back line, and I was having a talk to Lee Stenson, so I go, oh, these guys are soft, and then he's cracking up, and then next, I think next move or whatever, I, I took it up, and then I didn't get back up. They uh, winded me, and he was, uh, I didn't live that one down. He was, uh, yeah, I think I got uh, fined at the... <laughs> at the hotel afterwards for, for being a clown. So, yeah, no, they were big boys and, and strong, and obviously touring South Africa is uh, pretty, a pretty tough place. So, yeah, it was all good learning curve. So we were uh, chatting with Dean Kenny um, uh, uh, last week, I think it was, and he was talking about that those those court sessions were really integral, he, he found, in building up those team, uh, the sort of t- the, the team culture. Um, yeah. So. Even in the in, in those early twenty in the early two thousands, the most blues, Highlanders, Otago stuff, that was all still part of the part of the culture. Yeah, very much so. Um, very still, you know, amateur, I suppose. But um, I remember the Northland team; we'd have a court session after every home game. Um, you know, same with the Blues, the Highlanders. We'd still have you know those good old fashioned court sessions and. And I suppose, yeah, that's where that team bonding comes through and, you know, you, you become a pretty tight group team. And, um, yeah, that was, for me, that was the early days anyway, that was a big part of rugby and that's why I suppose I enjoyed playing it. I enjoyed playing hard on the field and enjoying a few beers off the, with the lads. That was, yeah, that was rugby for me. Oh, maybe you have to do a retro session for the, to, to teach the academy boys what it used to be like as a, as a one-off. <laughs> um. <laughs> Um, then you kind of you, you you headed down to Otago for a couple of seasons, and you you, you had a season out of um, out of Super Rugby. Uh, just just the opportunity is not there, or why did you, why did you decide to hit to go down to the South Island? So yeah, two thousand and three, I was playing for Northland, and we'd had a terrible year. <laughs> I think it was the year the year before Glenn Taylor had retired. Obviously, a, you know, a good captain up there, and. We, yeah, 2003, we probably just didn't have the, the team, and it was. I don't think we won a game, and I so I decided. Um, to, yeah, I went down to Otago. I sort of was thought I might have got a contract with the Highlanders, but it didn't quite work out. And then yeah, just ended up playing club rugby, and then for Otago. But I think I did get called into the Highlanders for a few games in 2004. I think it was so. Um, and then I think I got a contract the following year. So, yeah, I mean, it was I didn't play a lot of rugby down there in Dunedin. I think I ended up playing 14 games or something for Otago and a few for the Highlanders in that first stint. And, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed my time down there and met some pretty good people and obviously played with some pretty, uh, you know, it was a pretty strong Otago team back then as well. So it was nice to mix and mingle with some of those guys. So it was purely for the rugby. You didn't go down there for university or you weren't you – weren't, uh... Nah, so yeah, I, I I went to did some plumbing down there. Obviously, when I missed out on the Super Rugby side of it, I um, worked for a company called Foley's Plumbing down there, and and then um, yeah, I was getting up early, going to the gym in the morning at like five thirty six, and then doing a full day's work, and then training in the evening. So she was pretty tough uh, graft, but you know that's what you got to do. These uh, even the young guys today have to do that to make it. So that's just part and parcel of being a rugby player. Sometimes you're in team, sometimes you're not. And then I think you had a bit of a neck injury um, soon after that, didn't you? Which meant, which sort of 
put you out of Super Rugby action for a couple of years, and you also came up to Hawke's Bay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in 2006, I broke my neck playing uh, club rugby. And, um, yeah, C5, C6, and then you had the operation, rehabbed, and then, yeah, came back. Started 2007, and, yeah, I came up to Hawke's Bay. And, um, so how did yeah. you... So- so what? What? How, how did you break your neck? What happened? I was just playing club rugby, and I always remember the uh, the ten from the opposition team broke sort of through um, inside me. So I turned and went to chase back, and then the opposite, the, the centre from the other team came through and gave me a bit of an elbow to the neck, and it must have just sort of whiplashed me. But I think, I mean, that were, that might have been the final straw. I, th- I think it had sort of been wear and tear before that, and that was just sort of the icing on the cake that finished me off really so um yeah I, I carried on playing I, I sort of collapsed and carried on well, I got back up and collapsed down again and then I sort of must have come right but I had these always remember big pins and needles down my right arm um Peter Sloan had always given me a bit of grief in the earlier days back when the blues so making sure that if you're injured like get up get into the line you know make sure you're filling a space and then uh, you know, opportunity comes and you go see the physio. So I sort of had that mindset. So I got up and I just ended up carrying on playing. And then I think it was the Sunday or the Monday after the game on Saturday, I went and saw the, the physio and talked them through it. And yeah, ended up having an MRI scan and telling me, yeah, I was pretty lucky to still be walking. So yeah, it was pretty scary times. So I mean, I've, I've had a lot, I've had lower back operations and have um, had it all fused and bolted together. Is that so? You've got you've had your, your neck fused and put bolts in there and things, or or yeah, yeah. So they went through the front, they moved the voice box and that out of the way, and then they yeah took some bone off my hip and screwed and plated that, and yeah put me back together again. So um, yeah, obviously pretty big operation, especially back when the time I'd done it. I think obviously they're getting better and better at that stuff now. I think it's similar to what Sam Kane had done right. and. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, it was six months rehab. I think I had the operation back running in December and started playing series in January. So, yeah, I mean, it was pretty quick, really. Yeah, I, I, well, I was pretty much, I think I was bed rest for, or off, off, I was, I did a desk job, but I was off off work for two months with my back operation, um, lower back. So, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, and I'm not bashing into people. So, yeah, six months getting back into bashing people is sounds like a, a pretty good turnaround. Um, yeah, and clearly, the amount of rugby you've played since then, uh, it's all it's all healed well, and you've you've you've, you've come good. Yeah, yeah, I've been really lucky. Um, you know, other guys that have had the same operation, like Darren Whitcomb, David Gibson, they've ended up having to. They, they did come back, but had to retire. Um, yeah, I was pretty lucky. I got through pretty relatively unscathed. Um, obviously, had the odd flare up, but you know, through some rehab and and good training, I've managed to. I managed to finish my career back in, uh, in 2014, so yeah, I had a good run after that. Yeah, David Gibson said he never felt the same. Um, I had a chat with him uh, a couple of uh, last week. Uh, yeah, again, he said yeah that whilst he came back, he never felt he was back up to the same level as he was as he was previously. Um, so good, good performances for Hawks Bay got you back down in the Highlanders for a couple of years, um, and uh, and a call up to go to tour with the All Blacks. How was how was that? Yeah, I think that's. Uh... <laughs> That's a bit of a Wikipedia special. I was. Um, oh, really? Okay. I um, 
I had a bit of a call up to the All Blacks training squad in 2002 or three, I think, after the Blues. But it was just more of a fitness session, fitness uh, testing, etc. Now I didn't get, to, unfortunately, I didn't get the tour or be a part of the All Blacks squad. Oh, there you go. Okay, so folks, so yeah, don't believe everything on Wikipedia. He didn't go on tour to, to at, at the end of 20, 2009 winter tour. Um, uh, dearie me, my, it better research. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, two two good years down there again with the Highlanders. I mean, how do you find that kind of having sort of living half the year in Hawke's Bay and then living half the year down in Otago? Um, what kind of strain does that put on your life? Uh, sort of and living out of the suitcase, do you have to have two homes? How, how do you handle all that? Yeah, I mean, there was in the end there was a big reason why I left and went over to Exeter. But um, you know, I had a young daughter. Might have had two daughters. By the time, yeah, I think the, the last thing I had two two young daughters and they didn't come down my last year with the Highlanders, 2010, I think it was, um, because, you know, they were at school. One of them was at school and we didn't want to pull them out and in. So, yeah, New Zealand rugby or, or the way it is, with, especially if you're in Hawke's Bay and then moving to the Highlanders or Hurricanes or whatever it is, it's, you know, it's pretty tough on the family. So um, that was a big reason why we decided that sticks and, and move over to England so we could be in one place together and didn't have to move the girls around for half a year at a time. Yeah, I had a chat with Tamanavalu a couple of years back just before he moved over to Europe and he was saying that yeah, he was lucky that his partner or his wife I can't which way, um, had a job that she could move with him. Otherwise, yeah, it's very, you, you, it's very difficult when you've got a partner who say has a job in one place yeah. but they can't move as well so you end up spending a lot of time apart from each other. Yeah, for sure. That was the, yeah, the toughest thing. My partner wasn't working, but obviously she's looking after two young kids. And, yeah, we didn't really think it was right to pull them out of school and into a different school for six months. So, yeah, that's a tough thing about rugby in New Zealand with not it all not being in the one place, I suppose. Um, and so, the, yeah, the move to Exeter Chiefs. Um, and, yeah, I was, here we go. Got the, the, the jersey again. Um, the... Um, I'm sorry, I'm on screen. Uh, yeah, but the move to Exeter Chiefs then, uh, how did that come about? Because I mean, you, the, you, you didn't go over there for to win trophies and things because they'd just been promoted. Um, it was going to be a relegation scrap probably um, over there. Uh, a, how do you suddenly, what do you know about Exeter before you went over there? Just off with it, I guess. Nothing, uh, nothing. Honestly, um, uh, 2010, when after the Highlanders season and just before Mighty 10 Cup, um, I told my agent to start looking for contracts overseas because obviously I didn't want to do the travel anymore. And um, yeah, he come back and said, Rob Baxter from the Chiefs is, is keen to have you over there. Uh, apparently he'd seen some video of me playing through someone else. So someone else had sent their CV to Exeter and um, obviously my name kept on popping up for whatever reason and he liked the look of me instead of that other guy so um, when when he heard that I was in the market he um, yeah jumped at the chance and yeah I, I didn't know anything about them at all and uh, that's exactly what I got told you know I'd go over there it's going to be pretty much a slog to stay up in the top division they're expected to go straight back down and that'd be the end of them so you know it was a pretty big risk to, risk to go over there but you know we we decided to take the chance, and obviously it all worked out pretty well. Yeah, it does. Yeah, they, 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 uh, they, they well, as um, Tony Rowe likes to sell, they had a five-year plan to, to, uh, to win Europe. Now that didn't quite happen, um, and people laughed at them. But hey, 
they've, uh, they, they've they've become one of the strongest sides in Europe, or definitely in 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 England. Um, uh, from that now, so you okay? So you didn't know anything about Exeter at all. So I went to university down Exeter, um, and you might remember, or you might know a place called Dawlish. Um, now Dawlish, this is this is to give people an idea as to where Exeter is. Dawlish has got a has got a train platform, a train station with two platforms. One platform says Timworth, Tainton, and this is about ten or so places heading towards Cornwall. The other platform says Exeter and beyond. Um, <laughs> Which gives you an idea. Yeah, Exeter is—it's the end of the motorway. It's—it's—it's it's, it's right at the bottom of the country. Uh, there's nothing beyond it. It's—it it, it is isolated. Um, so uh, a, a bit like Northern in some ways, I guess. In the fact that it is—it's a sizable city, a bit like like Fongaray, but there's—it's a long way to get anywhere, isn't it? Yeah, down in the southwest there, um, an hour from Bristol, three, three and a half hours from London, um, on the N5 and then M1, I think. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, definitely out of the way. Cornwall's a couple of hours down further. And, yeah, honestly, like I said, I didn't know anything about it. Didn't know that if it was a big city, small city. I just ended up, yeah, turned up there with my, my family and, um, yeah, just took it in my stride, really, and, Obviously, the team has performed outstandingly ever since, really. I think we got eighth, finished eighth in our first year, uh, made Heineken Cup our second and third year, and um, they've just gone from strength to strength. Obviously, they've, you know, they've won the championship. They've been in the final four or five times as Saracens now. Um, they're yeah, one of the big clubs in, in England, and... Um, yeah, they've done outstandingly well. Got some great coaches. Obviously, Tony Rowe is a very smart businessman and runs runs the Exeter Chiefs at a profit, which not many clubs do. And um, yeah, they've got a real good team vibe and a good coaching team and, and good playing group. So when you first turned up, as I say, you're expecting a slog. You're expecting it's going to be a hard season, potentially relegation. What was the feel like um, pre-season that, that that first year? Did you did you was there a good feel around the club or or or, or, or being, what vibe did you have? I mean, you had no experience of European rugby, so yeah, yeah. I, I turned up in November, so I played minor ten, so I missed the oh, yeah. I missed the pre-season, and I played about four or five games in that first that first season. I think they had um, I think it was Gloucester first up, and they yep. won. They beat Gloucester, and then I think they might have won the next game or narrowly lost to Leicester. I think they were winning, winning away to Leicester right up until the last few minutes, and went down narrowly to Leicester, who was obviously a really strong team back then. And I think they might have picked up one or two other wins or another win before I got there. So when I arrived, yeah, the club was in, yeah, they were humming. Um, I think I, I arrived on the Wednesday, and I, I think they had an LV game against Wasps, who was obviously another really strong team over there on the Saturday or Friday night, and I ended up playing that game, and I think we ended up giving beating Wasps by maybe 50 points, or might not have been that, but you know the team was just on a roll, even the LV team, which if people don't know, sort of normally uh, big teams will put their second string team out in the LV Cup, or what was called the LV Cup. Uh, which is games against uh, English teams and Welsh teams. And, um, yeah, put a second-string team out there and, and gave Wasps a good, you know, bit of a toweling, really. So, and we just went pretty much from strength to strength through there. Obviously, we lost a, 
you know, a, a few games to the big teams like Saracens, etc. in that first year. But, you know, uh, getting eight was uh, a pretty big achievement. Oh, it was massive. I mean, I, um, the, 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 it's a 12-team league, for those that don't know. Uh, and last place is the one that goes down. Um, so being three or four places above that, um, heading towards the end of the season, knowing you're actually safe, was uh, was an amazing feeling for the fans. Uh, was yeah, was not what anyone had kind of uh, prophesized or expected. Um, because Exeter had also been they, they, to get to mean to get promoted, they'd had two massive games against Bristol, who were the much richer, bigger, better history club, just to get promoted. So they weren't even the favourites to get promoted in the first place. Um, so so that uh, so to yourself there. Um, I think was it Junior um, Polianganga was 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 also uh, was somebody you probably knew from knew, knew from New Zealand, but yep. all the other players would pretty much been been fairly new. Yeah, I don't know too many Hawani Tui. Uh, not too many people will probably know Hawani, but uh, Wellington born I think, but maybe played a game for two for Taranaki. Um, and the other guy that I I didn't really know, but Sorelli Nakalabuki. He played for the Stormers in the midfield, so he just he just turned up and obviously um, ended up being one of the stars for Exeter in those early um, few years in the in the Premiership. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah he there was wasn't a, too many was other a, stars in that team. He was a he was a big boy in a kind of the same mould as someone like um, Nadolo. Um, uh, yeah, give it to him five yards out, and he's going as he's he's going to get over for on the wing. Um, yeah, yeah uh, I remember a, a late a. a I think he scored against Worcester Warriors in a sort of overtime to win a game um, as well. Yeah, so yeah, having someone having someone like that who you can as a sort of get out of jail card um, to bash it up it was it must be nice on the outside. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, like you said, we had Nadaldo uh, there as well. I don't think he ended up playing too many games because I think we had too many foreigners. And I think actually that first year we mucked it up somehow and played too many foreigners or something, and we lost a few points. So yeah. The, the, the story behind that one is he turned up with his Australian passport rather than his Fijian one yeah, and therefore right. was considered a, a foreign player whereas the island players are not considered foreign players but because he entered on the wrong path or entered yeah. on his own passport don't get me wrong it wasn't illegal but, um, yeah. but it wasn't the, the Fijian passport he was considered a, an overseas player You're, yeah, so England got dock so not England actually got dock points yeah um, so we, you're making that eight uh, position was you know obviously even sweeter back then for sure the um, and um so what was it about that about the culture down there that because um, I mean a whole bunch of players have, have gone down there they've talked about the special culture um, you've talked we mentioned briefly the, uh, the, the the kind of court sessions I don't think they hold those but they do hold they do have um, beers on the bus don't they yeah um, definitely uh, yeah coming from New Zealand I suppose I, I thought I'd seen it all been you know been in the rugby scene a long time. I didn't think too much would phase me, but got over there, and uh, those guys are just another level. So obviously they they play hard, but they also party hard. Um, for those people who don't know, um, obviously Exeter being pretty isolated, like we've said, we used to have big bus trips, so we didn't really fly anywhere. We used to get on the Exeter bus and travel up to Newcastle, and that'd be an eight ten hour bus trip. And we'd, you know, you'd bus up, stay the night, play the game, and then pretty much bus straight back. You wouldn't stay in a hotel that that following night. So, you know, we'd get home four, five, six o'clock in the morning sometimes from those sort of places. And yeah, the boys like to have a few beers and 
Rob Baxter would be at the front coding the rugby game and everyone else would be down the back having a few beers and enjoying each other's company. So, yeah, I thought they, they struck the balance really well. Obviously, when it came to work, we worked hard, we trained hard. You know, those those coaches, Ali Heffer, Rob Baxter, uh, Rob Hunter came on in the later years. You know, they, you know, great minds of the game, uh, analyze of opposition, just the detail that goes into it. It's outstanding, but they knew when to relax and when to rest players. And, and yeah, I suppose the, the team really enjoyed each other's company off the field, which obviously helps on the field. Uh, and so people that don't also know, you know Rob Baxter was a, um, was a lock for Exeter Chiefs. And then so I mean, his dad also played for Exeter Chiefs. His brother was playing for Exeter Chiefs at the time that you were, that you were there. Um, Richie Baxter was the number eight. Um, yeah. So there was a, yeah, it was, a, it was very much a family thing, um, a family journey that this, that the, as well as a club journey, because uh, they'd, they'd also moved from the Greyhound track out to Sandy Park, which is a, a, a better stadium, etc. So there was a massive journey and story there with the whole club and also with the Baxters as well. Um, a couple of players who have, I think, probably the, the last of the kind of what's been termed the originals, Phil Dolman and um, Gareth Steenson, are kind of, uh, I think, are just about hanging up their boots. Did you go back for um, any of their, uh, any of Gareth Steenson's sort of testimonial um, events or anything like that? Because I know he tried to put together an, an originals team. Yeah, so I think Steeno or Gareth, uh, Steeno had his testimonial a couple of years ago now, so I didn't get the chance to head over, but I headed over last year in October or whenever it was for Phil Dolly's testimonial, uh, which is great. So I um, got another run on Sandy Park. I'd actually just... Um, Blowing out my knee, playing a bit of club rugby. Thought I could still play a bit of club rugby at my age, so I ended up uh, doing a PCL. But and then Bull rang me up and goes, "Oh, well, you want to come over for my testimonial game?" And I was like, I just couldn't turn it down. So I, I jumped on the plane, strapped up the knee, and I uh, had a run around for for the Exeter team, which was great. And we played a, a Welsh invitational team because Bull's obviously uh, a Welsh boy. Um, yeah, played a lot. Uh, yeah, played against some obviously international boys, which is yeah, great fun and great catching up with the boys again. And yeah, had a good chat to Rob and the coaching team as well. So yeah, that was uh, fantastic. To give people a couple of idea, ideas, so there's sort of boy, I mean, two two um, guys who played for Exeter in the Championship, so the second division, and then all and played also then into the Premiership. Phil Dolman would have been capped by Wales, except he got injured sort of something like the game before a tour. Yeah. Um, uh, Gareth Stinson, another player that if he'd stayed in Ireland probably would have been capped by Ireland and there was talk of getting capped by England on residency grounds but I think he pretty much was like no I'm Irish um, yeah. so yeah two yeah whilst they whilst two people that two players that people say oh they never they never made it to internationals they were they were that kind of level though weren't they yeah for sure and obviously on the field they were, they were great players for Exeter but off the field they were even better you know Stino's the life of the party or Gareth I should say uh, Phil's, you know, just a you know good good man who, I suppose, brings people together. So you know, for me to have the chance to go over there and and be part of a special occasion for him, I think ten years at the club at the time was awesome. So um, yeah, yeah, great players on the field, but even better guys off it. Uh, and Sino went on to well, now has opened up a bar. He has in, yeah. in Exeter, so perhaps a bit dangerous um, that. But, <laughs> but let's hope he doesn't drink away the profits. Um, yeah. So four years over there, came back one last season with um, with Hawks Bay. Uh, so Hawks Bay was 
uh, was uh, sort of be, can become home before you left, and that was sort of where you're going to always going to come back to. Yeah, well, obviously originally from Wangarei, and, and my wife is 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 as well. Um, her parents live in Tauranga. My parents are still Wangarei, so there was all that always that argument about where we were going to come back and live. Uh, moved to Hawke's Bay, and we both loved it. So when we left, we decided that we're going to come back and make Hawke's Bay our home. Um, obviously, our middle child was born here, so it just felt right to come back. And um, yeah, obviously, Danny Lee was coaching the Magpies at the time when I come back in 2014, and obviously, I played a lot of rugby with Danny over the years. So it was easy to come back, have that one more year, and um, yeah, get get into life here back in the Bay. And how much? Also, you're now working on in the academy. So, had you been taking your coaching badges while you were with Exeter? Was was coaching always something you had had planned? Um, yeah, I've done level two over in England, um, and yeah, I suppose I obviously want to keep your options open. And I'm not sure coaching's where I, where I want to head. I quite enjoy the the academy pathway. So the you know helping the boys reach their potential whether that's through their rugby skills or like you say helping them with their mental side you know getting providers in um just helping them you know with a quiet word for example when you know obviously we've got some great coaches here with you know mark ozich and josh sims and i i, I can fit in and help those guys when needed but yeah i'm not sure coaching's where i want to go down but i enjoy helping the the youth of the yeah so the ones coming through but uh, so okay, so, so you're not actually coaching the academy team. No, it's not. Well, it's not really a team. So we have we have an academy group per se, and they could be you know various ages from 18 right through to 21, 22. So we do play games. We have a an academy team, and we play against Wellington and Manor too, uh, the Hurricanes region at the start of the year. So I do coach that, and I and I have co- uh, coached club rugby at Taradale here in Hawkes Bay. And obviously help out Oz and that, but it's probably not a route or coach like it's not a a pathway I'm going to go down. For example, I really want to be a you know super rugby coach or a minor ten cup coach. It's more of a sort of offshoot of the academy role. So what's the so, okay? So 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 when you t- what, what what does an academy role do then? If you're not if you're not coaching an academy team, uh, you mentioned they're bringing in providers. What so so what kind of what what what's what's your what's your normal week look like? Yeah, so we have uh, three to four gym sessions a week with the boys, and in that we'll do skill sessions. So um, we, we work hard on catch, pass, tackle, clean out, just um, running into contact, etc. So we work really hard with the boys' skills. So we break those down, right down um, to you know micro skills. We say um, so we work really hard on the basics with them. And then um, in the evenings, we either have a nutrition seminar, mental school seminar. Um, it might be a, a PD, which is it could be anything from learning how to change oil in your car to cleaning your flat, or we, you know, we try and make it interesting with, with life out of rugby. Uh, it could be a banking seminar, just trying to get them ready for the real world as well as rugby. So, um, yeah, I suppose my job is to give them a taste of being a professional, making sure they're turning up on time, um, doing their analysis for their club teams, and I'll hold them to account with that. Um, yeah, so it's just a little taster for them to become a professional, so when they do step into that professional rank, it's not so much of a shock for them. Um, so how many good plumbers have you, have you produced so far? 
<laughs> Not too many good plumbers. All the boys seem to like the building route these days. <laughs> um, and uh, yes, and actually, well, today was the, the budget was announced, and yeah, there's, there's going to be a whole bunch more of uh, 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 building, um, uh, was it training courses available? So I guess you'll be, you, you'll have been keeping an eye on that side of things as to what opportunities are available for the boys to 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 pick up apprenticeships or training courses like that as well. Yeah, that's a big part of my role, trying to you know guys from leaving school and then getting into you know it's obviously a big transition in their life, so helping them find a job, get a trade, or whether that's study. Uh, so we've had a couple of guys from Hawke's Bay go down to Vic- Victoria University. So obviously we haven't got a university here, but we try and accommodate the boys. So they'll go away for Vic, and we try and get them back in the school holidays and work with them. So hopefully they they become a magpie and not we don't lose those guys to Wellington or whoever. So, you know, that's another big part. So talent ID and, and keeping the good rugby players that we produce here in Hawke's Bay and Hawke's Bay. Right, okay, so so not having a university in, in Nelson, uh, not Nelson, what am I talking about? In Napier, Nape. sorry, that's the yep. word I'm looking for. Um, is, uh, is, 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 is that part of a challenge for you? Well, I mean, obviously it's something you can't change, so you have to live with it, but is, 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 that, uh, is that a challenge to retain some people? Yeah, very much so. Um, you have to think outside the square. So, you know, we've got a you know great EIT here, but obviously a lot of guys want to go to university and experience that. So, like, yeah, for, yeah, for example, using Vic, we've got a couple of guys down there who do their thing, and but we still keep in contact. And obviously using the likes of Skype and Zoom and, and do a lot of educational that way with them. So, um, yeah, it's obviously got its challenges, but, you know, you just got to work with what you've got. Um, and a few, obviously, you've, you've had a particularly good um, bunch of players come through in what in, in Tuala, um, Fakatava. Uh, who else was part of that crowd? From blank, um, Kani, Flanders, Keanu, Kiriru, Sides. Yeah, all those guys. They're the Hastings boys. Yeah, have all come through Napier boys at the same sort of time. Um, yeah. Did you actually get any time with them, or do they just sort of flash straight through the academy? And, um, and so. Are you, Obviously, they're still young, so they might even be younger than some of your academy guys. So I, do you still do still work with them, even though they're they're in the Magpies? Yeah, so they were in the academy oh, two years ago now. So their last year of school and their first year out of school, I think. But like you say, they were pretty much signed, sealed, and delivered to already when they're at school. So um, I didn't have a lot of time with those guys. They were in the academy, but sort of under. Oz and Josh as well at the same time, so it was sort of a bit of a, a tough one, that one, so we just sort of did the best we could, and I suppose that's the, the, the dilemma you've got, whether, you know, you've got these young, talented guys coming through, and they're getting rushed into the system, but making sure mentally and physically they're actually ready for that next step is challenging, and, you know, that's what all provincial unions are battling with, I suppose, whether to keep that talent or not give them a contract, and they might head off somewhere else, so... Hawks Bay decided to sign those guys. I think it was eight of them at the time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's paid off for Hawks Bay because those guys are performing really well for Hawks Bay at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And we did, yeah, had a chat with um, with Mark and Josh and the they, not only did they get fast-tracked into the Magpies, but then you ended up with um, uh, Weber away with the All Blacks um, plus the nine and ten, not, sorry, the ten and twelve have gone blank now, so the name's injured. Um, for, for, for quite a stretch. So you ended up suddenly with this, with this I think it was 8, 9, 10, 12, who yep. were all from Napier boys straight out of, yeah, a year out of school, suddenly yep. running the show, um, which was not quite the plan, but hey, it worked out. Um, yeah. The, 
And how, how have you found um, COVID-19 and how has, how has that impacted you? Just, as we've said, it's your first day back in the office, even if you are in a, in a T-shirt, not in, not in proper office attire. Um, <laughs> the, um, uh, how have the last one, was it six, eight weeks been? Yeah, it's been, yeah, crazy. It feels like a dream, I think. Uh, obviously, pretty scary initially. Went into lockdown, didn't really know what was going to happen, how many cases we'd get. Um, but then obviously settled into life with the family. So I've got three kids. Um, obviously, my youngest boy was born in Exeter, so he's a good English lad. Um, so, yeah, we were locked down, and I'm quite lucky I've got five acres. So I roamed around that, um, did a bit of stuff around home, uh, plenty of time on Zoom and Skype, um, chatting with the lads. So I kept in contact. We um, Our academy still ran through that time, but obviously we had to do it in the virtual world like pretty much everyone else. So we are doing cooking classes and... Uh, technical sessions online and yeah just just whatever we could think of to keep the boys interested yeah but personally it was pretty tough as well you go through those tough times and you know probably three or four weeks in when you're just mentally sort of done but you got to keep getting up and keep being positive and you know obviously the kids sort of keep you in check as well so but yeah I mean I actually in the end I really enjoyed my I suppose what was it seven eight weeks I think it really mentally refreshed me, and I think for a lot of people it's been sort of a blessing in disguise, but obviously we've got to get back into it and hopefully get the economy cranking along and, you know, get ourselves out of the mess that we're in. So five acres, uh, do you want to keep, keep some horses, or got a little orchard, what's, uh, what, what, do you, what, what's, uh, what do you do with your lifestyle block? I've got, yeah, I've got some lambs, um, I've got some, I do some kuma and some pumpkin, um, so a little, little bit of cropping. I've always dreamed of having an avocado orchard, obviously coming from up north. Um, yeah, I've always dreamed of having an avocado orchard, but not quite there yet. So maybe if I can get my hands on a bit more land, I can put a few uh, avocados in, but it could be a bit dicey down in Hawke's Bay. I think it might be a bit cold, but we'll see. We have to do a bit of um, research and see if we can get some avocados in there. There you go. Perhaps that's a personal development project for one of the uh... – one of the boys in the academy to, to, to learn. Um, yeah, give, give, them a, give, give them a case study. Uh, <laughs> um, there's some nice vineyards down there, obviously as well. So you could you could go down that route and uh, start making um, Schumark wine. Um, yeah, sure. It sounds good. Chateau, my, Chateau de Schumark. Um, the, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, and uh, so the 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 so basically you you, you ran. All those sessions uh, as normal, and then also, um, did he give sort of challenges to who can find the funkiest thing to do weightlifting with? Or um, because also, yeah, I mean, that's, that's been one of the things we've seen some of the um, some of the black ferns. I saw one of them; she was uh, uh, weightlifting with a sheep. Um, <laughs> the um, obviously she 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 obviously lives in a farm somewhere. Um, so, did you have to? Uh, did you manage to get kit out to the to, for the guys to be able to train at home, or did or did they have to improvise? Yeah, no, the boys did really well actually. Um, you know, obviously they all went through different stages uh, during the lockdown, and some of them dropped off. But you know, we managed to pull them all back. So I mean, they did really well. Uh, we we ran. You know, we did we didn't focus just on rugby. We tried to have, like you say, talent con uh, talent quests, and like they had to post up there thing they some sort of trick or talent that they had and we all rated them uh, you know, it didn't have to be rugby related so that was a good laugh obviously we did the cooking classes we had quizzes 
Um, yeah, so yeah, it was uh, it was actually really good, and probably some of the you know the Zoom stuff and the Skype, you know, we'll probably use that more than we have in the past, you know. So it probably changed, you know, what we've done probably change and and move into the future as well. Oh, if you've had quizzes, then look, we we, we have um, Do You Know Sports is a quiz show on New Zealand Sport Radio every Wednesday at 8pm. Okay. Um, so if you've got two boys who are good at uh, good at sports quizzes, maybe they could uh, maybe they could enter that. Um, Sounds good. Te- teams of two um, for that. We could have maybe maybe do a, a, a coaches versus or, or, or academy staff versus academy students. Yeah, yeah, it um, could be one. a good one. <laughs> um, it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, Jason. Thank you very much. Um, anything else you wanted to say about what you guys, guys are doing down in the Hawks Bay that uh, to let um, let the supporters uh, know about? Um, not off the top of my head. Obviously, we um, you know we've we've got some pretty young talent down here. We, we always produce pretty good talent. Um, so hopefully, in the next few years, you'll see those guys coming through and, and performing for Hawks Bay. That's our plan, anyway. Cool. Thank you very much, and uh, good luck with. Um, a the, uh, the the avocado orchard and also the um, uh, the, the academy down there. Uh, thank you everyone for watching. Please don't forget to, to like the Facebook page. Also, if you prefer to listen, then you can subscribe uh, to the podcast to search for New Zealand Sports Radio on iTunes, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, Acast, all your favourite podcasting apps. Uh, so do check those out. Thank you very much again to Jason and uh, thank you everyone for watching. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing I love that Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 